Welcome to the Over the Teacups podcast. My name's Bella and I'm so happy you're here today. Please join me for a cup of tea or coffee as we talk about the important things of life, the Bible, theology and living a life that honours God. Hi friends, welcome to another episode of Over the Teacups. Um, If you have been listening along right from the beginning, um, I would like to say thank you for joining me on on this podcasting journey. And if this is your first episode, I would just like to say welcome. Um, It's really great that you're here. Today, we're going to start a new series, which God willing will take us to the end of season one. So we're going to spend quite a few weeks on this and it's based on a booklet that I wrote last year which was called A Holy History. So if you were following my Instagram last year um, you might be familiar with this. I looked at some of the main stages of Old Testament history, some of the main promises and I looked at how we can see Jesus in all of these. So today, we're going to start this series looking at those different stages of history in the Old Testament, looking at some of the main people, and looking at how the promises that God made to them, how those promises were fulfilled in Jesus. And it is such an exciting topic for me. This is one of the things that I love most about theology. So I am really excited to share this with you. First up, this week we're going to be looking right back at the beginning. We are going to look at Adam and Eve. And the story starts right back at the beginning of humanity. Now we have Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And when they were in the garden, they lived in perfect fellowship with God. You know, there was no suffering, there was no pain, no sickness. No sin, no broken fellowship. This is creation as it was meant to be. They had perfect fellowship with each other and they also had perfect fellowship with God. Now God came to walk with them. Everything was flourishing and perfect. Yet within this paradise, as wonderful as it would have been to live in, we still had the hint of sin and temptation. We might know the story. It's quite familiar and it's actually um, my three-year-old son's favourite Bible story, this one, Adam and Eve. They ate the one fruit that they were commanded not to. They had freedom to eat any fruit from any tree in the garden except one. And which one did they eat? that one fruit that they were not allowed to. So this act of disobedience towards God brought judgment and it brought death. Because of this, they couldn't be in God's presence anymore. They couldn't have that perfect fellowship because they had sinned against him. They had disobeyed God and thought that their way was best. Which brings us up to today's part of the story. 
So God finds Adam and Eve ashamed and hopelessly trying to cover their nakedness. His holy response to their sin, you know, it's judgment, it's a banishment from the garden, and he is right in doing that. But even before he pronounces their judgment, and he does judge Adam and Eve, he gives them particular punishments. But even before he does this, he curses the snake. And it's here that we find the very first glimpse of the gospel message. It says in Genesis 3 verse 15, and this is one of my favourite verses, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So even before judgment, God offers them hope. He could have just destroyed Adam and Eve right there and then and he would have been holy in doing that. But instead, he speaks words of promise to them. He allows them to continue for a greater purpose. He promises that one day he will send someone, someone descended from the woman who would defeat the enemy, who would defeat evil once and for all. So even before he brings their judgment, God promises that he will make things right again one day. And this is the merciful, faithful heart of our God. He always starts with that promise of mercy. So let's think a little bit about that promise that God made to Adam and Eve. So talking about the offspring of the woman, the word offspring also can be translated as seed and the word is zera in the original Hebrew and I am by no means a Hebrew scholar so if I have mispronounced that I apologize but it's very important here that word translated as seed. The word can be both singular or it can be plural, referring to one person or referring to many. But the use of a singular pronoun here suggests that this case refers to a single offspring or a single seed, one descendant from Adam and Eve that would make things right, that would defeat the power of evil once and for all. So it seems very possible that Adam and Eve hoped that one of their immediate children would be this seed, the one who would defeat Satan. But sadly, you know, we know the story of Cain and Abel. Their hope was dashed when Cain, he murdered his brother Abel. This was the first generation of children born into the world and this happened. They were not the promised ones to, to defeat evil. They fell into sin as well. But when they had another child, Adam and Eve, they called him Seth. And Eve says 
God has granted me another child. And the word child is translated as Zerah. The hope of that promised one, that promised descendant, that hope is renewed again. So throughout Genesis, we see the development of a specific line of Eve's seed. We see it traced through Seth, then to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. It keeps going. All through the Old Testament history, they ask this question each time a leader or a hero is raised up. Is this person the seed of Eve? Is this the one who will deliver us from the power of Satan and from this fallen world? And each time, they inevitably, they fall into sin. Now, each person is as much in need of a saviour, just as much as everyone else. Think about King David. Now, he is very closely connected with this seed of the woman promise. And the story of David and Goliath um, actually really um, connects into this imagery. The Hebrew word used to describe Goliath's armour could also have the idea of scales. It uses that sort of imagery, using snake imagery to describe Goliath. So Goliath here is identified as the offspring of the serpent. He is an enemy of God's people. And how does David defeat Goliath? Remember, he took the slingshot, he threw the stone, and it hit Goliath right in the forehead. It was a head wound that killed Goliath. David crushes the head of the serpent. So he is identified as that promised one who would crush the head of the serpent and make things right again. But... There's a problem. David was not the perfect man needed to deliver us from sin. He was a man after God's own heart, yes, but he fell into sin pretty badly. Think about what happened with Bathsheba. He took her, another man's wife. He slept with her and it was very likely without her consent. And then he arranged for her husband to be conveniently killed in battle. So even David, this one who was identified with the promise of the serpent crusher, even David could fall into such a serious sin. He couldn't be the one to defeat evil once and for all. As we Keep going in Old Testament history. The kings of Judah, the kings of Israel. Now in Chronicles, each of the kings, they get a biography. Just a little few paragraphs, sometimes only one paragraph, just giving a quick overview of their reign. And most times it mentions who their mother was. So this is a patriarchal society. Now this was very male focused. You know, we might not like it, but that's just what it was like back then. 
and generally including women's names wasn't very important. So why are they here? Maybe it's to connect these kings to that promise, connect them to being from the line of Eve, from the seed of the woman. But each king that was raised up, you know, if we asked, is this the one? Is this the one who will defeat the power of evil, who will crush the serpent's head? No. We'd have to answer no, they all fell into sin. They all fell short of this glorious promise. So, when we reach the end of the Old Testament and we finally see Jesus come into the world, we might ask the same question. We might ask, is this the one that we've been waiting for? In Luke chapter 4, Luke traces Jesus' ancestry all the way back to Adam. So Matthew traces Jesus' ancestry back to Abraham, connecting him in with the idea of the Jewish Messiah and all those promises made to Abraham. But Luke goes all the way back to Adam. And doing this, he hints, at Jesus being the seed of Adam and Eve, the one that the whole Old Testament has been waiting for. And what about his life? Now, did he fall into sin, like all those ones that came before him? Well, Jesus, you know, he actually did live that perfect life. He lived a life completely free from sin, there's something that no one else had done before. So if we think a little bit more about that promise made to Adam and Eve, and think about how Jesus fulfills it. It says that he will crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent will strike his heel. And the enemy did indeed strike Jesus' heel. In his crucifixion, it seemed like the powers of evil conquered Jesus. He did suffer. He did actually die. You know, the snake, the serpent, did have that effect over Jesus. Yet, the promise also speaks of a seed crushing the serpent's head. A bruised heel is only a minor injury, but a crushed head is fatal, it's final. So when Jesus was raised from the dead, you know, we can say that's when he crushed the head of Satan. He won ultimate victory over evil, over sin and over death. The whisper of hope that was found all the way back in Genesis 3.15 it reaches its fulfillment in Jesus, in his resurrection. He took the curse of Adam and Eve onto himself, paying the penalty that we deserved and restoring us to that Eden-like fellowship with the Father. And it's not there yet, not perfectly, but we have that hope. In heaven, we will have that perfect fellowship with God 
even greater than they had Adam and Eve had with God. So Romans chapter 16.20, and it picks up some strong Genesis 3 imagery when it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now this is in the immediate context of the grace of our Lord Jesus. It also says in that verse, the promise made to Eve is also hinted at in Galatians 4, verse 4, which describes Jesus as being born of a woman. Now we know that's Mary, his mother, but also there is that imagery of being from the line of a woman, being from the seed of Eve. Jesus is the promised seed of Eve, descended of Adam and Eve, who did what no one else before him could do. He was the one who crushed the head of the enemy. So I just love thinking about this promise, thinking about how Jesus fulfills it, because it just shows how God's plan for salvation was promised right from the beginning. As soon as humanity had a need for salvation, God was right there promising that one day he would make it right. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at how this promise develops through the Old Testament until it reaches its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening and yeah, I'm really excited to, um, to go on this journey with you through the Old Testament. So next week, we're going to jump a little bit ahead. We're going to be looking at Abraham and looking at the promises that God made to him and how Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment. If you are encouraged by this podcast, I ask you to please support it and yeah, get the word out by sharing, liking, leaving a review, all of those friendly things. And I will see you again for tea next time.